0: We're going to launch into a new sermon series, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. I've been excited about it for a long, long time. Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and it's Matthew 5 through 7. And for me, this is the most important section in all the Bible for you to know if you want to follow the teachings of Jesus, because in just a few chapters, we're going to see this Sermon on the Mount. And it's going to tell us everything we need to know about living life in this world. And we're going to slow walk it over the next few months. Now, I have come to loathe the phrase, like, for such a time as this, or now more than ever, or more important than ever, or whatever, like, because it's heavily marketed right now, now more than ever, we need a great catch up, or... A good light bulb. Or like everybody's jumping on the now more than ever train. But this is a toxic society that we are living in right now. And now more than ever in my lifetime, I can say uh, we need the teachings of Jesus to center us. So that we can detox from the toxic world around us. And maybe... If we put these teachings into practice, we will bring a little bit of health and wellness into the toxic world around us. So we need the Sermon on the Mount right now. We need to get centered around it. And that's what we're going to do over the next uh, few months. I'm looking forward to it. So Matthew 5 through 7 was a sermon. And naturally, the greatest teacher of all time, who... Formed the greatest sermon of all time, had a pretty good intro to that sermon. Now, I have, uh, over the past couple years, been reminded of the importance of a sermon intro. I had, for the first 20 years of writing sermons, took a lot of pride in my sermons, felt like it was something I did pretty well, but I was punched in the face by a kind of a long-distance mentor of mine by an article that he wrote uh, a few years ago about the importance of a sermon intro, okay? So the dude uh, has a church in uh, Pittsburgh over in Pennsylvania. And uh, I, I met him uh, at, a, at a church planting conference, a new church conference in 1999 when Polaris was ready to get started and his church was ready to get started. Now he, his church is now enormous um, sprawling campuses all over that region and beyond, uh, so he 's very successful and uh, you know i 've interacted with him a couple times and learned a lot from him and He wrote this article talking about the importance of, of a sermon intro and, and i 'm reading it feeling pretty good about my sermon writing skills and, and so he he's, he starts it off by you know a lot of a lot of pastors, a lot of amateurs. Sermon writers just kind of their intro is is literally if you have your Bibles open them to whatever whatever, and that's the intro, and that kind of hurt a little bit because I've certainly you know generally just kind of said all right we're gonna get started here, and, and he said that's because they you know they're excited about their message and happy with their transcript, and they've been living with it all week, and and they know the whole thing, and they got those moments in there that they're ready for people, and, and, and they're ready to go. But he's like, the crowd isn't. They're not there with you. They haven't been living it, eating it, breathing it, anticipating the moment. They fought the whole way to church with their family. Their stomachs are growling. They're ready for lunch. They're not where you are. They're not ready to launch with you. So you have to have something that brings people along. Then it really hurt. He's like, picture your favorite movie, whatever it is, because every great movie has, like, like, the first few minutes. If you love the movie, chances are something incited you and hooked you in the first few minutes to make you Like, I got to see, how's this going to resolve? Like, you're in because of the intro. Now, and he said this. If a movie with a $100 million budget that took years to write and film and edit, years of production, $100 million or more to create, if that needs thousands of hours and people, if that needs a good intro, how much more does your lame sermon? So <coughs> so I realized, okay, okay, you got me. I, I need to probably put a little bit more thought into, um, into intros. Well, greatest teacher of all time, still covering his material 2,000 years later, writes the greatest sermon of all time. There's a pretty compelling intro, and that's what we're looking at today. It's called the Beatitudes. It's the intro to the Sermon on the Mount, and um, uh, I think what we'll see is that he had his crowd hooked after he dropped the Beatitudes. Now, the word Beatitudes, it comes from Latin, and it means like, uh, it's the Latin word for Blessing. Or blessedness, because Jesus is gonna give a list of life circumstances, and um, and He's gonna say that that you're blessed in these circumstances. So now, having completed a sermon introduction about sermon introductions, you can grab a Bible in front of you if you don't mind. <coughs> They're under the chair in front of you, and I like when everybody follows along because then nobody feels like they stand out. If you don't have a Bible that you can easily read, just take that one with you. I love when people take Bibles with them. Mark it up. Make it your own. And we're going to be on page 968 today, and you can go ahead and fold that corner in because we're going to be in this area of the Bible uh, for, for quite some time in the coming weeks and months. Matthew 5, 968, page number, here we go. When Jesus saw the crowds, so this is, you know, big crowd, beginning of his ministry, big crowd around, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. This is normal, there's a big crowd, there's a rabbi, his disciples come up front, but picture a huge crowd of people out in the wilderness and he's, you know, he's there and he's ready to start teaching. Thus the sermon begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, to appreciate the power of this intro, we really need to identify with the crowd. Because when we read this in modern language... You throw words like blessed around and it just sounds all churchy and religious and like you almost start to just nod off just from the the list of, of blessedness. But when you really start to identify with the crowd and the situation, I think what we'll see is that this was a sermon intro that had the whole crowd hooked, ready to hear more. It all starts with the mentioning of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God okay? A couple times there, we read it already, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, most conservative scholars would say that Matthew was written sometime before the turn of the first century, and it was very Jewish. Like, he wanted to be really Jewish and help Jewish people to to understand that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Savior from God. And so, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. This is because really good Jews didn't say the name of God. They tried not to use the word God because they considered it borderline blasphemy, especially if you said God's actual name. And so, so Matthew tries to be really good and really Jewish, and he avoids the term altogether and says kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. That phrase was a trigger phrase in Jesus' day. It was a trigger word, kingdom of God. It did something. So if I say black lives matter, or insurrection, or privilege, those are all words right now, maybe even get a little, what are we gonna talk about now? Like those are words that could actually have a physiological impact on your body. Like they could get your blood pumping, no matter where you land on any of that stuff. They're trigger words, and we got a lot of them right now. Right? In Jesus' day and time, they had a few as well. And Kingdom of God was serious. Um, It was both a political and spiritual sore subject for Jesus' crowd. So the Romans uh, had oppressed the Jews for many years. Uh, they, they, were, they kind of allowed the Jews to live in Palestinian territory. They taxed them oppressively. They took their tax money and did Roman things with them, uh, pagan uh, temples and things that were horrible in the sight of the Jews, or they used the money to pay the soldiers to oppress. Their so it's kind of like you're paying taxes that aid in your own oppression was not a good situation and the jews were very proud people believed they were the children of god the chosen people of god believed they were entitled to the land because god had promised it to them to palestinian uh, territory and they believed that at some point god was going to send a messiah to usher in the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven and they were desperate for that moment to get what was theirs to bring in an eternal kingdom and make wrong right and and um, uh, rectify the situation and overthrow wrong. That's the kingdom of God. It's all baked into the kingdom of God. They've been sitting in silence with no prophet, with no miracles for 400 years. They're just waiting and they're losing hope. Kingdom of God arriving almost was like unfair to even say. Now, can you relate with that crowd that day? Have you been waiting on God for something like maybe... Uh, You're waiting on God to answer a prayer, to fix something. Uh, Maybe there's something in the world or in the country that you just, man, God, come on. Do something about that, please. Where are you? Why are you not speaking? Why are you not guiding me? That's where everybody is back then. And so as the readers are reading Matthew, or the people in the crowd that day with Jesus are listening to Jesus, uh, You'll see in, in page uh, nine, 968, <clears throat> shortly before the Sermon on the Mount even begins, Matthew gets us prepped. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, or change for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has arrived or come near. It's time for the kingdom of God to arrive. That's how Jesus began his ministry. Now, there is no overstating. How powerful um, the the level of emotion that that trigger phrase would have given any ancient Jewish crowd in the context of Rome. The kingdom of heaven has arrived, or for Jesus to say, "Blessed are the poor," for theirs is the kingdom of God. Like they were, like the kingdom of God in 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 Rome was. The, the, Politically, they, they were like paranoid about, about insurrection, about, about getting overthrown, uh, the, protecting their power. So to say the kingdom of God has arrived, that's got every Jew like, oh, it's time. But that was like, like, you didn't go around throwing words like that out in first century Palestine under Roman oppression. The kingdom of God is here. That's like one of those, oh, snap. Like Jesus says that, everyone's like, oh. So this is the context, in in this intro, when he throws around topics like the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, people are triggered, they're listening. But instead of a political insurrection, Jesus is going to talk about a lifestyle insurrection. The kingdom of God, God's way of life has arrived, repent, change, change your ways, there's a lifestyle insurrection and the world's never going to be the same. Now, we also need to understand before we go into some of these um, individual uh, little statements here, um, in in Jesus' day and time, there was a huge gap between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, the important and the unimportant, um, and there weren't many big shots. It was mainly everybody else's and on their backs the wealthy grew wealthier and it was it was it wasn't like today and then i mean that's that certainly <clears throat> is is like that in part today but but in those days you you didn't work your way it's not like you could claw your way out there was no ladder to climb it was like a caste system if you were born a peasant like if you were born uh, wealthy you were going to be wealthy if you were born with political connections, you could be appointed by Rome. And I'm talking even in the Jewish religious world. You could be appointed by Rome to somebody, but they're only going to appoint somebody that's somebody. Or you were born into some kind of a, a family that, that, that set you up. But if you weren't set up, you were a nobody. You were a peasant. You had nothing. And, and that wasn't going to change. And then you had kids, and then you got old, and you were still nobody, and your kids were nobody, and they had kids, and then you died, and their kids got old. It was just this cycle and system of you're fixed. It's fixed. There's no hope. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to come your way, okay? That was the situation of the vast majority of Jesus' crowd. They were nothing. They were nobodies in a religious society, and and it was all set, and it was all fixed. That's just the way it is. You might as well accept it. Now, Jesus starts his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's those trigger words kingdom of heaven. God's about to do something, but look who's in. Look who's in. The poor in spirit. Now, that's a, that's a fascinating phrase. Poor in spirit <clears throat> doesn't mean humble. doesn't mean meek. It means spiritually bankrupt. Poor is in poverty. Spirit is in spiritual. Spiritually bankrupt, Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. You haven't done anything for God. You don't have any credentials in the God world. You have nothing going for your life spiritually. Jesus says, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Talk about a crazy way to start off a sermon. As a Messiah. Hey, I'm here and I want you to know the spiritually bankrupt, you're blessed. Now this was a religious society where where the spiritually bankrupt had nothing. They had no notoriety. They had, they had I mean, the, the, the religious society was against them. They accomplished nothing. They're at the bottom of the ladder, bottom rung of the ladder. Nobodies. They've ruined their life. They have nothing to show for their life. They're the outcasts. They're the margins. They're the riffraff. And Jesus says, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt? Maybe some of you can relate with that. Maybe it's now, or maybe it's from your past. You you you've had a place in your life where you've known I've I've ruined my life. I've gone too far. I've I've, I've you know turned my back on God, or I never was with God, and I got all this line of there was there was you know spring break of 1993, and you ain't recovering from that spiritually. <clears throat> okay, this is the kind of person, and it happens regularly. Oh, oh you're a pastor. Yeah, I could never come to your church or uh, God would strike the building. I get that. I had somebody call me this past week talking about a funeral and that's what they said is I could never come into your church because I'm, I, God would strike the building or set fire to the building or whatever it was. But it's just that belief that you just have no spiritual ground to stand on. Spiritually bankrupt. Maybe you've uh, felt the judgmental eyes of, of the religious world or, or um, maybe your own family um, why don't you go to church, Mar? Um, spiritual bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus said, Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, do you think in that crowd, people who had no spiritual accomplishments whatsoever, who were written off by a religious society, would they be hooked by that intro? Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, because yours is the kingdom. They're in. No one had ever called them blessed. Then he goes on and he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I don't believe that, that some people believe that the the Beatitudes are a list of qualities to shoot for because they're blessed, so obviously they're good, right? But I don't believe that because I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, good job being spiritually bankrupt. Let's shoot for that and I don't think he's saying, hey, I'd, I'd love to see me some people that are mourning. Like, the, the scriptures say where the Spirit of God is, there is fullness of joy. So I don't think that all of this, like some are good, that we're gonna. But, but I don't think there are a list of like, hey, you should shoot for that. These were people who were depressed. You ever been depressed? You ever been in mourning? It's not a fun place to be. Oftentimes you feel like God is not, with you, like his back has turned to you, his face is not towards you? Does God hear you? Have you done something wrong to be in the situation of, of mourning, whatever it is? There were plenty of depressed people in that crowd that day. First century Palestinian peasants? Are you kidding me? Talk about a depressing life. But when Jesus said, blessed are those who are mourning. They're probably hooked by the concept that maybe God was going to do something to pick them up. Then he goes on and he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Are you kidding me? The meek? Imagine, I mean, the society where, can you imagine a society where the aggressive get the stuff, where the cheater, uh, manipulator, uh, gets the promotion, where, where they get to go have drinks with the boss, where whatever, I mean, that's still, that's still here today, right? Where, where the aggressor gets the stuff. But in the ancient world, with corrupt courts and with countries that are fighting, because actually meek inherit the earth, the earth there should be translated land. Okay, so this is so upside down that even the meek get the land. In, in the ancient world, it was the aggressor that took the territory and wrote the story. So this is an upside down thing. That would have been a strong intro. I'd be ready to hear this news, this new thing that Jesus came to bring, where where the nobodies inherit the earth, where there's something in it for them, where the mourning are comforted, where even the spiritually bankrupt somehow have access to the kingdom of God. If you were meek, no one ever called you blessed. You didn't get anything. You lost the stuff. But somehow Jesus was coming to bring something different. And he goes on, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, some of those are... Good things, good qualities. Some of them are benign. Some of them are bad, like spiritual bankruptcy. But they're rarely associated, good or bad, with winning. None of those things Jesus lays out are typically associated with winning, with being blessed. Those qualities rarely get you far in the world. But Jesus was bringing something different, something new. And I think this intro would have given the nobodies some hope. They'd have been interested in what's coming next. Probably also made the somebodies a little bit mad because things worked for them. And this was almost an announcement of Jesus saying, hey, I've come to change the categories. Things are about to get flipped upside down. So this was an intro that got people ready for what he was about to say. Now, so what, right? So what, this was a sermon, the Beatitudes come from a Latin word, means blessed. Uh, So what, that in first century Palestine, they're waiting for God to do something. So what, you gotta do your taxes, Uh, your kids hate you, and your job is miserable. So what? Well, here's a few so what's. From the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, that I think we can apply to our real lives and our real problems and struggles immediately. Okay, first of all, with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the spiritual ladder, spiritual bankruptcy, martyrdom, takes the ladder, and he turns it from a ladder to a platform through which we can approach God. Okay, because he's like, we're gonna start with the spiritually bankrupt, and we're gonna work our way all the way up to martyrdom. And you're all blessed, because you all have access. Yours is the kingdom of God. Interesting, in a lot of ancient lists, it starts with the best first. Here, Jesus goes upside down and starts with spiritual poverty, and works his way up to martyrdom. It's all a part of what he's doing. Because he's just changing rules. He's blowing up categories. But he takes the ladder. And he flips it. And now you are not too far from God. I don't care who you are. don't care where you've been. You can be in spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritual poverty. Or maybe you're good enough that you're actually like. Paying the price for your faith. Regardless. It's not a ladder anymore. It's a platform. And the kingdom of God, God's way of life, in connection with Jesus, in connection with God, it's all yours. It's yours. The kingdom of God belongs to you. Jesus took the ladder and the things that separated, and he flips it to a platform that we can all stand on to approach God. Now, the second thing Jesus does, and this is, like, I'm listening to myself say, this is, it's, these are just a few sentences and they're like inexhaustible. And this is just the intro. Like this, the, the, the words of Jesus are, are powerful. With this intro, Jesus also casts a vision for what the world would be like if followers of Jesus actually put the words that he's going to bring through the Sermon on the Mount into practice. In other words, the spiritually bankrupt will be blessed when people live like Jesus and stop judging and love, and befriend, and come alongside of people who are far from God. Those who are mourning will be comforted when people put the teachings of Jesus into practice and actually bear the burdens of those hurting and depressed around them. Like all of those things, the meek will be cared for and will have advocates. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now there's a whole movement of activists on the loose, as we put the teachings of Jesus into practice. So not only does Jesus take the ladder and move it into a platform, he also, he's like, you on the margin of society, life's about to get good for you because my followers are going to bring my teachings into this world, and it's gonna transform life as you know it. Finally, and you guys can come on up that are gonna band singers, you guys can come on up. Finally, um, <clears throat> with the Beatitudes, we're once again reminded. And we need this because, I don't know, human beings, including myself, probably since the beginning of time, tend to interpret our life circumstances as our, like our, this is our standing with God. Bad things come our way, we must deserve it. We must have gone wrong, God must be against us. What we see through the Beatitudes is that our life circumstances do not reflect our standing with God. Jesus says that the poor in spirit are blessed. And when you're mourning because things haven't gone your way, you're blessed. And when you're being persecuted, it's not because God has forgotten about you. It's actually a part of the whole thing and always has been. For That's how they treated the prophets of old. So through this sermon intro, Jesus says you all have access to God, no matter who you are. The world's about to get better and detox because my teachings are going to be unveiled. And I want you to know, too, that you're, uh, when, when you have those times of, of, of struggle in life, You're still blessed. God's still for you and with you. It's not a reflection of your standing with him. And Jesus does all that and more. And this is just the intro. This is all about the kingdom of God. And when Jesus prayed, we're going to see it in a few weeks. Jesus prayed, Father, may your kingdom come. And then he told his followers that we should regularly be asking God, may your kingdom come. Because when God's kingdom comes to this earth through us, the world gets turned upside down. There's detox, there's wellness, and there's power, especially for those in need. Um, there, there's the life-giving, life-transforming power of God at work through his kingdom, and it's ours when we choose to bring it with our lifestyle And ask God for it. So let's uh, start that asking God for his kingdom to come during this last song.